You know, when you hear how God continues to work in spite of the persecution, and you really look at how the gospel is flowing around the world, it's actually some of the most persecuted places where the gospel is flowing. It's where it's the hardest to stand up and say, I'm a Christian. That God continues to bless and He's using the testimony of those believers. You know, many years ago there was a man in our church when I was pastoring a little town, a little uh, church in Texas. And we were talking one day about decorating the church for Christmas, you know, the building. And he said, you know, everybody loves a baby. Nobody's afraid of Christ at Christmas time. Everybody loves a baby. What happens at Easter? <laughs> you know, in this time, we're talking about the joy and celebrating the gift that's coming. But it's a serious message. And people around the world are standing up and dying for that message. It's a serious thing. And I know at Christmas time, preaching on Ananias and Sapphira is not a traditional Christmas message. <laughs> yeah, thanks, John. Sure you don't want to trade? We can trade out right now. You know, Carolyn asked me last night, well, how do you tie this in to the Christmas message? We're supposed to be talking about the hope, the joy, the love, the peace. And it's like, I come along with, don't play with God. Because it is serious. And maybe that's a message we need to be reminded of at the Christmas time. Because it is a time of joy and celebration. It's a time of fun celebration. I love Christmas time. I love decorating. I love colored lights. Man, that's one of the best things about Mexico. They don't just put up colored lights at Christmas time. They've got them up in the restaurants, and they use them year-round. We should, too, I, I'm, as far as I'm concerned. But this message about the seriousness, that in the festive mood, maybe it's, we do need to step back and remember the importance and the seriousness of the message of Christ you'll turn with me in Acts chapter 5. We're going to begin with verse 1, and we'll read through verse 11. Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back uh, for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? 
after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and and great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door they will, and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Heavenly Father, together we've read your word. Just ask that you speak today through each heart. That, Lord, draw us closer to you and help us to understand the seriousness of following you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage, it's not just about hypocrisy. You know, people outside the church often say the one thing they hate the most about Christians is that they're hypocrites. But yet at the same time, Christianity is the only religion that says we're all sinners. We all fall short. The total depravity of man, we're the ones that say, we're no good, that's why we need God. But even as Christians, we often do things contrary to what we say we believe. But you know, every human being does that. All human beings are hypocrites. Now that's a nice, fun message, a day after Christmas, this is Christmas, second day, you're a hypocrite. You know, so am I. We, we, we struggle. We all do things that we know we shouldn't do. We all do things that are contrary to our beliefs. But everybody else does too. I changed my definition to hypocrite. You want to know a hypocrite? An environmentalist that smokes. How many tons of tobacco go up into smoke every year? If Greenpeace cared about the earth, why aren't they on an anti-smoking campaign? I mean, think about it logically. That's total waste. Oh, here's here's another one. Think about this one. Just, Just follow the logic with me for a moment. What about an evolutionist that is fighting to use the vaccines? See, if evolution is true, then we have to have pandemics to strengthen the human race. It is hypocrisy to say we evolved 
And that's where we came from. And now we have to fight really hard to keep everybody alive because no, nature's way of getting rid of the weak is the pandemics. It's the the sicknesses. It's the illnesses. It's the starvation. That's hypocrisy. Oh, here's another one. What about an abortionist that says, we've got to have abortion to control population but we've got to have vaccines to save people. Because, see, if we really need to control the population, if they truly believe that, they would say, oh, the pandemic is nature's way of controlling the population. And I believe deep in their heart, they know human life has more dignity than that. I believe deep down they feel the sanctity of human life so they're caught in this disparity here, this, this, this um, hypocrisy of saying, we believe this to be true, but their actions right now, what's happening in the world right now, goes against what they say they believe. So it's not just Christians who are hypocrites. Every single individual says one thing, and sometime or another, you do something else. Oh, and you know, that does hurt. But we as Christians know that we all fall short. We don't try to be hypocrites. In fact, we do just the opposite. When we, when we fail, we come back to God. I feel it very strong right now in my life. I'm struggling right now with this very church start. In 2002, when we were preparing to come back to Hungary as career missionaries, we had been two years in Romania with our mission board. We had been one year in Budapest as English teachers teaching at the Budapest Teacher Training College. And I was praying, God, what is it you're going to do in Hungary? I was walking across the the campus of Southwestern Seminary. At that time, it was the largest Baptist seminary in the world. It's not anymore, but it was at that time. I'm walking across... And God gave me just this very clear vision of him pouring his grace out upon Hungary and the gospel spreading literally, literally around the globe. We came back knowing that our work was going to touch every nation on earth. That's what we came back expecting. But then I began to to pray and say, God, what is it? that you have for us. What's our role? Carolyn and I were were working through this. What's our role as we were coming back? In that time, it was strategy coordinators where we would be actually overseeing our mission board's work across eastern Hungary. And what is our role? And the Lord led me to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, I read it over and over. I read it totally, the the whole book. Four days in a row, I read the whole book to get the big picture. Then I went through and began picking it apart. 
looked at how did they develop leadership? How did they work as a team? Because there's only one time where Paul was ever left alone that we know of in a place. They worked as teams. And, and how does that work? And over and over for four months, I tried to read other books of the Bible in my quiet time, and the Lord would lead me back. It's just like I couldn't. I had to go back. I had to read the book of Acts. And the Lord led me and just very clearly spoke to me, your job is to plant churches through small group Bible study. That's what, it, that's what we, our assignment was. I feel like that's directly from God. We're not doing that right now. Something else that got here, and if you read about these church planting movements, these huge sweeping movements where, where thousands, and sometimes, like in China, literally millions of people come to Christ through one moment, through one movement, and they just sound so great. We started with one church, and then pretty soon that was two churches, and then four churches, eight churches. Friend of ours, first church planting movement they've ever seen in a European language happened in Tasmania. 110 new groups in one year. It's just like it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in Australia, it doesn't happen in Tasmania, but it happened. But you don't know how many years he served and he worked and he worked and he shared the gospel and he spread the gospel and he told people about Jesus Christ and he trained and he worked and he trained. They call it working the left side of the graph. It's before you get to the one. <laughs> what do you do before one? You know, when you're over here and you don't have anybody really trained or you don't have others that are saying, yeah, I'm on board with you with this vision. And you know what? My wife and I, we came in, we started doing concerts and we started prayer walking. Uh, the town of Nadudvar, I have prayer walked every single street of Nadudvar multiple times, at least three and most of them more. Bamazuivarish, Pushpukladan, same way, left side of the graph. That's how Yanchi and uh, Pastor Janos at, at uh, the Sopranos, that's how we became friends. Not because we shared a pulpit, we became friends because we stood side by side in the marketplace, sharing the gospel, giving away Bibles, doing free blood pressure. We stood there side by side. And we were working that left side of the graph before the movement starts. And you know what? I love it. <laughs> I love it. I, one time we had a, a music group that's coming, and we had three of them that were talking about possibilities. Everybody canceled except one. Then person another says, oh, we're coming after all. Then person the third one comes, and we're coming after all. Oh, it was a very hard, very hard month. I loved it. When that last group finished, one of the guys asked me, he said, what would you ever do if you had to, to leave being a missionary? I said, I'd become a manager for a rock and roll band. <laughs> he looked at me and he said, you'd be good at it. Because he just said, I loved it. I love that type of work. It's about meeting people, finding out where they are spiritually, and you're discipling them into church. 
I love the training side, the discipleship side, the equipping. I love that. Even when I began to talk with John about this possibility, I never planned to be in this role. I'm supposed to be the helper. He's supposed to be the pastor. (laughs) That's literally what I was thinking. You know, John will be a great pastor. John will be a great pastor for an international church. I'll be beside him and I'll help him out. I never intended to step back into a role of pastoring again because I love the other role. There's something else. When it comes to preaching, I'm under no illusion that I'm a great preacher. (laughs) Um, You know, there's something I, I call it preaching and the forgetting curve. The human brain will forget 80% of what it hears within the first 20 minutes. How many times have you gotten home and you can't remember the topic of the sermon? <laughs> we laugh, but John's right. There's times I go, what was it I preached on last week? The human brain, by, by nature, very few people remember huge amounts of information. So I know that out of everything I say, by the time you walk out that door, you've forgotten at least 80% of it, and most of you've forgotten the topic by the time you get home because the human brain just can't process that much information. On top of that, I got kicked out of preaching class. <laughs> John's got a degree in it. I, I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> there was, th- this is a true story. People don't believe it. One time I said to, uh, we were pastor or we were youth working with youth in a church in Texas, and I said something about, well, I tried to take a preaching class one time, and the youth minister looked over at me, or the, the music minister, excuse me. He looks over at me and said, yeah, I heard that didn't go so well. <laughs> I was taking it along with a class called Pastoral Care, and even joking, when in pastoral care class when they ask you what do you do with problem people in your church do not suggest take them out and shoot them (laughs) it became like I was invisible in the church it was like it was done that killed my my career I was joking I didn't mean it (laughs) you know I I would rather have five people around a table and 50 people in a congregation or more. I love sitting down with just the Bible and just talking and discussing because if we can have that discussion, you'll remember it. If you can dig in and discover for your own, you remember it. And that's what I like doing. Well, I do like preaching too, but uh, another thing is discipleship really happens out there we can't disciple in the congregation during the worship service 
John and I are passing along important information. And we hope we're triggering some thoughts that you will take with you. But when it comes to the discipleship, you know, Jesus preached to the crowds. But when it came to discipleship, he did it in that smaller group. He'd take those 12 by themselves. Sometimes even in front of the crowd, he would gather the 12 around. Even out of the 12, he had three that he was closer to that he had to take even further. Out of the 12, only three got to see the transfiguration. He took them with him, and that's the discipleship. It's that shared life together. You take that young man or that young woman with you. And you share your life together with them. It happens sitting in the coffee shops, around the kitchen table. It happens as you're going to the hospital together to minister and to work and to serve together. That's where the real discipleship takes place. Out there. Now, don't get me wrong. We need to assemble as a church. One, Scripture tells us to. See, really, this time is a time of giving back to God. We don't really gather for us to receive information. This is really about God and focusing on God. It's a time of praise. It is a time of worship where we really surrender to Him. Plus something else, every person needs a place to serve. You cannot have spiritual growth if you're not serving You can't. It doesn't happen. You have to have a place to serve because spiritual growth will come with spiritual service. Now, it is possible to work and to serve, maybe not with the right heart, and still work in the church and not have the spiritual growth, but you're never going to get spiritual growth without a place to serve. And that's part of us coming together where everyone gets to use their gifts to help each other and to work and or to wait on each other, to help each other, to serve each other. But the discipleship happens during a shared life together. Here's my greatest struggle. If we truly want to follow the examples in Acts, then we have to change everything we do. It's not some things. It's Everything, everything's going to change. Everything. I was telling about my friend that was um, uh, saw the, the first church planting movement in the European language in Tasmania. He was working, he was trying to, to use the teachings from Training for Trainers out of China. It's one of the fastest movements and largest movements the world's ever seen. And he thought, well, let's take that and began to work. But it was so different that people in the churches were struggling to understand the concepts. And he said, do you know what we've forgotten? We've forgotten what church is. The more he realized, the more he realized, we've forgotten what church really is. And he started taking people through the book of Acts. He started programming, he calls it Reboot. Because like a computer, you know, sometimes a computer, especially those older ones, 
You just have to shut it down and reboot it. Because <laughs> little pieces of programs get stuck in there. And, and it's just sometimes it just doesn't work like it should. And he said, we need to reboot our concept of church. And that was it. We duplicate what we know. But to really make change, we have to learn new things. And we have to clear out the remains of the old programming. And you know what? We all, every one of us, we tend to forget why we do what we do. Maybe this is the most important part of Reboot. And that training that he did was reminding why. Why do we have church? Why do we meet together? Why do we train? Why do we teach? And he came back to that. And then something else which never shows up in the literature from our our denomination. Our mission board never tells this. Ben's been here several times to Debertson and became a mentor to me. And um, he, him and his wife have been married two hours longer than Carolyn and I have, so we often turn to them for that, you know, that couple that has more experience. <laughs> ben, one day, he said, Gary, I want to tell you something. He said, what they don't tell you. He said, I had to train a hundred people. He said, I trained right at a hundred people before I found three people who was willing to change how they worked. And then from that three, from that three, grew 110 in one year and jumped three continents. Because it took just a few that said, yeah, we'll do things different. And we'll sit around the Bible, or we'll sit around the table with Bibles, and we'll teach, and we'll work. And it exploded. So now comes this question. Wait a second. I started by saying all humans are hypocrites, Christians and everyone else. So why do we live that Ananias was struck dead Instantly. I mean, he, he, didn't, he didn't get a chance to repent. He said, here, he lays the money down, and it's like Peter confronts him, and he drops dead. I think there are some things that we see. If you look in verse 2, it said, And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. It was pre-planned. He was intentionally putting on a show. You know, earlier, you know, last, in fact, last week, not earlier, last week when John was preaching, he's talking in the passage, it talked about uh, Barnabas coming. He sold the property and laid it at the apostles' feet. He was giving it. It was not wrong for Ananias to hold back some of the money. Peter says, it was yours. You had a right to do with it. It was putting on the show. He was intentionally pre-planned for his own glory. He wanted the praise. He wanted to look like Barnabas. Oh, Barnabas, everybody loves Barnabas. Here, let me 
put on the same show. He pre-planned it to put on a show. You know, there's, some say that this teaches that we're not supposed to have private ownership of land, but if you read the Old Testament, it was actually commanded. It was death penalty to move the marker. If you had a landmark there, in fact, that's where the name of, if you ever hear of Landmark Baptist, that's where it came from, was moving the old landmark, was a death penalty. And there was a group of Baptists in the U.S. that said, boy, it's a death penalty if we give up doing how we used to do things. It was his. He could have done with it as he wanted. But he pre-planned it for his own glory. And God used him to make an example for the rest of the church. It says in verse 5, And great fear came upon all who heard it. Don't play with God. Now this is at least the third time that you should have seen that phrase up there. Don't play with God. It's serious. It, it, Jesus Christ died for us. He took it seriously. He took us seriously. And we need to take him seriously. It was, inten uh, it was intentional. But what happens if somebody does wrong and it's unintentional? Now, I just got to throw this one in. You look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul was teaching on the Lord's Supper and the people were dishonoring the Lord's Supper. Everybody's bringing their food and the rich people are eating all their food. In fact, they've got so much, they're gorging themselves, drinking the wine and even getting drunk. Well, there were some poor people, they didn't even have anything to eat nothing and then look what it says first corinthians chapter 11 verses 29 and 30 this is why or excuse me 29 for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself this is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. They weren't taking it seriously. They're playing with God. The purpose of the Lord's Supper was to bring everything. Everybody brought something. Jude calls it a love feast. They brought something and they put it together. And Paul goes on to write, you wait for one another. If you're hungry, if you're too hungry to wait till everybody gets there, eat at home before you come. The purpose was everybody come together. And they were dishonoring the Lord's Supper. They were dishonoring the death of Christ, the death, burial, and the resurrection and how they were treating one another. And Paul says, some of the members of your church have died because you're dishonoring Jesus Christ. That's a serious message. That's a serious message. Don't play with God. Paul warns them to take it seriously. And you know, we should too. 
We need to take our relationship and our service and how we interact and react to one another seriously. Well, Ananias was struck dead as soon as he was um, confronted by Peter. He didn't have a chance to, re- to repent. But what about Sapphira? If we go back to our passage this morning, Acts chapter 5, verses, uh, beginning at verse 7. And after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. The Sapphira was given the opportunity to make it right. She was given the opportunity to tell the truth. Why did God not give the opportunity to Ananias? And I can say with 100% surety, I don't know. Ananias, being the husband, should have been the head of his a spiritual head of his household. He's the one that did the planning, as far as we can tell. She was in on it, but as far as we can tell, Ananias was the one. Hey, babe, let's sell this, and we're just going to hold back some of the money. We just go in there, lay it down. Everybody's going to say, "Oh man, they're good." No. <laughs> what I do know. Sapphira was given the opportunity to tell the truth. She was given the opportunity to set the story straight. She's standing before Peter. They're there with the church. And she just lied. Bold-faced, knowingly lied Yes, we sold it for so much. She maintained her lie. Folks, God knows the truth, even if we try to hide it. Hidden sin's not hidden. It never is. God sees it. And we all struggle. We know, everybody knows, everybody has sin in their life that they struggle with. And there's times where it's not appropriate to announce it in front of church, but you need help. We need each other to help each other through it. I've got a program on my phone. It's called Covenant Eyes. It's to help men, especially men, but they with women too, it struggle with pornography. I've got an account. Guys, if you struggle, you can be on my account with me. I have a report. Everything I say, it takes pictures. It sends it to my accountability partner. And you know what? I got two guys on there that it'll send me reports. What are they just checking on their phone? What are they reading on the, seeing on the internet? We need that type of help. 
If you don't struggle with that, you struggle with something else. Do you know what it's like to be in the church and work and serve under somebody who's a compulsive liar? You may struggle with telling the truth. Everybody struggles. We have to be there for, one, for each other. God knows the truth. There's some lessons for us. Actually, this was going to be an illustration. I decided not to use it. Oh, I'll use it anyway. Last night, I could not make myself sit down and type the notes for today's message. I tried. Carolyn at one point asked me, what is wrong? I kept getting up and pacing. I get a, a, a message from Ishvan, Gary, could you please enter the notes or send them to me and I'll do it. Ishvan, I'll do it this evening. It came evening. I sat down to do it and it's like, um, no, these little, these little Velcro strips, they needed repaired. You know, that, that, that part of the Velcro came off. So I walked over to the sewing machine. Still has the black thread from where I made my Bible cover. You know, so I sewed it real quick so I wouldn't have to think about today's message. Because it's a painful message. It really is. It's a hard message. But there's lessons for us. The number one lesson. And if you... This is the thing. When I say don't play with God, the number one thing and the, that I'm trying to get across is be honest with God. Be honest with God. You know, it's like the, if you truly believe you know, when Jesus told the man, if you truly believe, I'll heal your son. And the guy says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. We just, sometimes we just don't have the faith to stand like we should. And we need God's help. We need each other's help. But being honest before God, because he already knows the truth. And be honest with ourselves. Um, often our dishonesty before God is because we're dishonest with ourselves. Um, yourself is the easiest person for you to lie to. I can lie to myself and convince myself of a lot of things. You ought to say, you know, in my history, how many times I've convinced something was God's will. You know, I convinced myself. <laughs> Even with this church, every day I struggle. Lord, is this really for me? And I've had to pray. To be honest, Lord, is it me wanting to do this or is this really from you? And step by step, here's something else. We're going to call you to give and we're going to ask you to give. We're getting ready to move into a building. It doesn't have any chairs. <laughs> this morning I told John, maybe we should just put together some benches. If it's uncomfortable, people will be uh, motivated to give more, you know. <laughs> But give from a sincere heart. It says God, don't, God tells us, don't give under compulsion. He loves a cheerful giver. Give because you're giving to God. Take spiritual matters seriously. God's not a toy. God's not a toy. And he's not a human being. 
Sometimes we play silly games with each other. But God is far above that. And he's got a great sense of humor. One is, I'm standing here preaching. (laughs) But take the spiritual matters seriously. Now, next Sunday, we're going to make some changes. First off, we're meeting in a new place next Sunday. Like I say, we don't have any chairs. We're we're trying to borrow some. Um, Just see if we can get by for a while with borrowed till we can see what we need and and what's best, but uh, we're not sure where that funding's necessarily going to come from on the, the seats and different things. So next week, we're going to take a step of faith, and we're going to start meeting in a new place next Sunday. And we take that seriously. Because we know if God's not in it, if that's not the place for us, It's going to be a financial hole that we'll dump tons of money in. And we won't minister to people. But if it's the place God has for us, then where he guides, he's going to provide. So we want to take it seriously. Something else, next Sunday is going to be the first Sunday of the new year. Well, at least on the Gregorian calendar. You know, uh, if you're following the Jewish calendar or the Islamic calendar, uh, Orthodox calendar, okay, next Sunday may not be New Year's for you. But every New Year's is a time where we stop and we look toward the future. And we say, God, where is it you want us to go? What is it you want us to do this next year? And through it all, I want to make sure we ask ourselves and we're honest with ourselves when we ask, why are we doing this? What's the purpose? Why? Let's not lose sight of that. Let's not lose sight of why we come together. Let us not lose sight of why we're moving into a new building. Let us not lose sight of why we share Christ. Let us not lose sight of why we give. Let us not lose sight of why we serve. Let's not forget our purpose. And most of all, please, 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 don't play with God. He knows the truth. He knows the truth. He knows your heart better than you do. He knows why we're doing this. He knows the motivation. He knows the actions. It's serious to stand before the Almighty God. He loves us. He invites us to stand before Him. But He's still a consuming fire. Not to be played with, but to be loved, worshiped, adored served and we serve him as a child serves his father let's pray heavenly father we don't want to play church we want to be your body 
Father, we want to show the world what it means to be in the family of God and to be the bride of Christ. And so, Father, we don't, can't understand the depth of that mystery. Please, Lord, don't let us play at it. We want to serve you, love you. We want to adore you and praise you with a whole heart. And Father, we don't want to do things for show. We want just to do them for you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.